Hello, everyone. Dr. Alan Mishra again with another edition of the Vitality Explorer podcast. Our mission, our goal with the podcast is to optimize vitality one person at a time. So I hope you're enjoying what you're listening to. Today, we're going to start again with a quote, and here is one from Rumi. Quote, either give me more wine or leave me alone. <laughs> either give me more wine or leave me alone. That's from Rumi. And that's going to be related to one of our posts for today or one of our conversation pieces for today. So uh, Vitality Explorer podcast here is dedicated to enhancing your vitality, to looking at vitality as a skill and helping us take ownership of our decisions and choices. Okay, so this week we're going to talk about how to manage our time to manage our minds. We're also going to talk about uh, something that's a little personal, my six-year anniversary of writing every single day and how I feel like I'm vital when I write. And the final one, and the one that's related to the Rumi quote, is the top four healthiest red wines according to Vitality Explorers. You can see all of the details on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. You can also join us at vitalityexplorers.com to receive a free text message newsletter of how to improve your physical, mental, social, and or spiritual well-being. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, please share this widely with your friends, family, and colleagues, and please leave us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's dive into the first one. And I think this first one is the most important one I've done in a long time. And this is manage your time to manage your mind, or why time management enhances mental health. All right, now mental health issues such as anxiety and depression have become almost well, I think they are an epidemic, and they're far too common, especially among students of all ages. And my, it's my opinion that we need an all-in strategy to combat the epidemic of mental health disorders. And that strategy should include time management, according to a newly published paper in BMC Psychology. And here's the title of the paper. Postgraduates' Time Management Disposition and Mental Health, Mediating role of life satisfaction and moderating role of core self-evaluations. So this paper was very beneficial on a lot of levels, but one of them was in their definition of time management. And this is part of what the, what the authors uh, stated in the paper. Uh, time management is an individual's attitude, planning, and utilization of time, as well as an individual's values and behavioral tendencies towards time. All right, so it's attitude, planning and utilization in combination with values and behavioral tendencies towards time. And we're going to unpack this today because the data from this paper was staggering and very, very important in my opinion. So the review of the literature that started off the introduction of the paper had, had this to say. Good time manager, managers have a positive sense of self-reliance, self-concept, and self-confidence. They are more likely to realize their self-worth and have a tendency towards higher mental health. And poor managers, in contrast, this is what's important, have low self-confidence and are prone to a strong sense of inferiority, increased anxiety, and low self-evaluation. Now, maybe somebody out there has seen this before, but I have not seen this data before that talks about time management in the context of mental health. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, and the science behind this is pretty powerful. Uh, before we dive more into the paper, 
I think it's always important on Vitality Explorers to provide all of us with specific actionable tools. And this one I think has been really helpful for me and it's called the Eisenhower Decision Matrix. And it splits things up in your to-do list into either urgent uh, or not urgent and important and not important. And that leads to a sort of a grid with four uh, components of it. And you can see a, a, a picture of this on the Vitality Explorer Substack site by following the link that will be in the show notes below. But the upper left corner of the matrix is things that you need to do that are both urgent and important. So those are things we should do now. The upper right is something that's important but not urgent. And that's something we should do later or schedule a time to do. The bottom left is something that is apparently urgent but not important. And if you have to have something done, but it's not important, try to delegate it. Or we'll talk a little bit more about what I do with that. And then the bottom right is not urgent and not important. And that's something you should just eliminate. Okay. So the matrix, this type of matrix, and again, it's called the Eisenhower um, decision matrix. You can Google it if you like. You can just read more about it on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. It's a very important tool to work on. Okay. Because if you break down your to-do list into those four categories based on urgency importance, you're going to become a better time manager. Remember the upper left quarter is reserve, quadrant is reserved for urgent and important tasks. The top right quadrant is for important but not urgent. And the bottom two quadrants are not important tasks that are either urgent or not urgent. So the key to that matrix, I think, is to, to, to review and edit your list of things to do every day and put them in one of those quadrants. And I reserve the upper left quadrant, those things that are important and urgent, for no more than three tasks per day. So this takes time to determine the most important and most urgent tasks, but this is, a, this is an important skill. I put 80% of my time and energy into those tasks, and I reserve 20% of my time for longer-term important goals. And again, identifying what is important and especially what is not important in our lives, I think is a powerful vitality skill that we need to study and practice. And here's what I do. I ignore or delegate the urgent but not important tasks. That's the bottom left. And here's the, my thought. Why should I care if I don't get something done that's not important? And then on the bottom right, those things that are not urgent and not important, I don't touch them. I don't even come near them. All right. So now back to the study. Again, I'm trying to provide a specific time management tool, and that one's been really helpful for me. But here are the primary conclusions of the study. Number one, there is significant positive correlation between time management and mental health. Number two, the stronger the time management score, the less likely the occurrence of psychological problems. Okay, let's pause. This is insanely valuable right here. Number one, ironic comment there, right? Number one, there is significant positive correlation between time management and mental health. Number two, the stronger the time management score, the less likely the occurrence of psychological problems. And you can see the, uh, the grid and the graphs for this from the paper in the Vitality Explorer Substack site. But this paper was based on 455 participants and they looked at their, their time management in the context of their life satisfaction, self-evaluations, and mental health evaluations. And here's, here's another important component of this, important, this valuable paper, is that time management was evaluated in three primary dimensions. Number one, how much did the person value time? Number two, how did they monitor their time? Number three, how efficient were they with their time? 
Okay, so value, monitoring, and efficacy were the three dimensions. Life satisfaction was broken down into six dimensions. Your friends, your family, achievement, freedom, comfort at school, and environment. Remember, this was in uh, graduate students. And then the self-evaluation had 10 different measures that were based on questions such as I believe in myself. And finally, mental health was assessed with three dimensions and 20 items. And the paper concluded, the time number one, Time management is an important predictor of mental health. Number two, life satisfaction plays a mediating role between time management and mental health. And number three, educators can improve the mental health of students by focusing on the development of time management skills. And that last one, I'm not sure that we do that. For anybody who's an educator at any level, how much do we really focus on helping students manage their time? Okay, we tell them a lot of things they should do, but do we really, really provide them with tools to help manage their time? And here's the Vitality Explorer analysis. The better we manage our time, the better we are at managing our minds. So managing our time helps manage our minds. And the paper reviewed in this post provides scientific evidence that time management matters. Time management matters, especially in the context of our mental health. And that for me was new information. But the concept of breaking down time into value, monitoring and efficacy was also new. And I think this deserves more attention. So we should begin by valuing our time, which is the primary step towards optimal time management. We should consider every second precious and consider becoming a really savvy user of the Eisenhower decision matrix or some other time and task tool that you find valuable because the data suggests that the better you are at managing your time, the better your mental health will be. And efficiently spending our time today also helps us make decisions better in the future, minutes, hours, days, and years ahead. So uh, you can tell I'm quite passionate about this. I do believe that time management is a very important component of your vitality. It's a massively under-recognized and underappreciated component of our vitality. And that's why I always begin my courses and my seminars by talking about time. Please leave your comments on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. You can also leave your comments below about this portion of the podcast. Let's move on to I am vital when I write. The lessons I've learned for writing for 2,191 straight days. That's six years. So I began that streak six years ago with really one dream. That dream was to publish a book about vitality. Six years later, I can report that I produced 3,000 pages, about 3,000 pages of prose, and, and have written an average of about 30 minutes every single day. Now, how can I tell you that? Well, I keep an Excel spreadsheet of the time that I spend every day writing. And here is the primary lesson I learned. I am vital when I write. It's amazing to me that I am vital when I write. Writing helps me clarify and organize, organize my thoughts. Um, and here's the truth is I used to be really afraid of writing. I couldn't string two sentences together without making a grammatical mistake. But now I love to write. I produce these Vitality Explorer posts, three of them per week, and I really do enjoy it. I love diving deep into the scientific literature and trying to create specific, actionable material for everybody who's listening to this and all the readers. Uh, it does take a lot of energy. So people have asked me, you know, how do you do this? Because I'm super busy. It does take a lot of time and effort to produce even a single Vitality Explorer podcast and a single Vitality Explorer post. But guess what? It also gives me energy, which is staggering to me. 
Um, and writing also helps me manage my time. I can sometimes be like a firefly on steroids, chasing too many sparkling objects at the same time, but writing centers me. It helps me remember to focus on what is important. And I never thought that I'd have time to write. In fact, I was always discounting that until I made it my first priority every single morning. It's the number one thing on my to-do list every single day. I won't do anything else until I've written for at least 10 minutes. This forces me to produce something on a page. Now, most of it obviously is complete crap. And when I look back at my stuff from years ago, I absolutely cringe. It's pretty pathetic. And then I had, had the idea last year about this time, about uh, September, October of 2022, to revisit my own vomit and completely rewrite my Dare to Be Vital book. Now, the first edition came out in 20, April 2020, 2020, in the height of the pandemic, but it took me almost three years to produce that first one. The second edition took me six months to revise, and the difference in the two is staggering. I worked closely with a professional editor and two close and two professional cover designers for the new edition. I really read and reread and rewrote and revised every single word. And I'm very proud of the new edition, which is the required text for my Stanford courses. You can find it on Amazon. There's a link on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. And I wanted to share with you a recent review of the book that came in on October 9th, 2023. Quote, Dare to be Vital by Dr. Alan Mishra is an inspiring and well-structured self-help book that strives to enhance global vitality one person at a time. Dr. Mishra presents readers with an insightful eight-part framework that serves as a practical blueprint for tackling a complex subject, a complex subject, unquote. Now, I got goosebumps when I read that review a few days ago. It took me six years, but today I'm going to finally call myself a writer. And this is staggering to me because I almost flunked many of my English classes in middle school. I never learned phonics in, in elementary school. And then at, I was the first person up for my sixth grade spelling bee. And my, my word was tube, T-U-B-E, right? Like as in a tube of toothpaste, right? So I confidently stood up and said, T, you know, sort of try to sound it out and went T-O-O-B, tube. Now, my wonderful sixth grade teacher gave me a second chance, but I thought she was just testing me. So I did it again. T-O-O-B, tube. Now, you might imagine what happens in a sixth grade class when somebody makes an idiotic mistake like that while standing up, but it shattered my confidence. People were laughing at me. People thought I was smart, but obviously then realized I wasn't very smart, especially in the context of English and spelling. And that led me to kind of just retreat. I faked my way through book reports and essay tests for many years and just barely survived. And that, that, that has gone on for decades. And I knew I had a serious deficit. My ability to communicate verbally is actually, I think, very good. But my ability to communicate in the written form has been, until six years ago, abysmal. And I harbored a lot of doubt about my ability to write a book of any length. I struggled every single day I worked on it for the first two years to just get a little bit better. And it took me much longer than expected to produce that first lousy edition of Dare to be Vital. I called it a course book because I was actually kind of embarrassed about it. It consisted of about 100 pages of disorganized thoughts slammed together with some vitality exercises. Vitality exercises, I think, were pretty good, but slammed together with those exercises that I had created for my Stanford Continuing Studies course. And then when I decided oh, about a year ago to rewrite the book, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be painful, right? But I found real joy in writing and revising, and I didn't expect that. I thought it would be really painful like the first time. Instead, 
It was a delight. And now writing is an essential part of my personalized vitality action plan. Uh, And we all can develop our own personalized vitality action plan. But for me, writing helps clarify how to optimize my physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. And it also helps me stay focused on my work because that, you know, I, I understand that I'm a maybe now an okay writer, but I stay exclusively in my lane. And those, that lane includes the eight parameters of something I call the Vitality Octagon. You can again see the graphic on the Vitality Explorer Substack site, but those eight topics include time, which we started about, sleep, fitness, purpose, service, closeness, discipline, and hope. And almost everything I write about is about one of those topics. Um, but here's the analysis of and thought pattern after writing for six straight years. It's been transformative for me. I try to tur- I turned a weakness into a strength. And my questions for the people listening to this today is what is a weakness in your life that you could turn into a strength by working on it 10, 10 minutes a day? You know, what could you do to optimize your vitality 10 minutes a day? What could you accomplish if you started a streak of 10 days a month, a year, just a minimum at a minimum of 10 minutes a day? Now you have to remember there's going to be many days when you don't want to continue. I've had many days over the last six years where I did not want to write, including one where I had neck surgery. I actually got up really early and wrote for 10 minutes before I had surgery on my neck in 2017. There will be days when you're tired, sick, or weak, but you got to fight through those barriers. you got to stick with your streak. Stick with your streak. You might be surprised if you really do that, that you're in, especially if you think about your future self and what you might be able to accomplish. So thank you for indulging me about my six-year anniversary of writing every day. I hope the story of it inspires somebody to change something in their life that was a weakness into a strength. So we're going to finish up this week's Vitality Explorer podcast with something awesome and fun. And this is the top four healthiest red wines. And I call this a semi-scientific exploration of the health benefits of red wine. Uh, It gets back to our quote for this week from Rumi, either give me more wine or leave me alone. All right. Now, what I tried to do, because I think there is some value for some people, not for everybody, but for some people in the moderate drinking of red wine. And that's been explored in the Blue Zone uh, Netflix special that's going on right now. Um, And what I did, and I spent way more time on this post than I want to admit, hours and hours of time trying to find some definitive data about what red wines are the most uh, healthy. Um, And what what this post does is present what I found. I'd welcome anybody who would like to comment or has other data that they can present. But here are the top four Vitality Explorer red wines in order um, with some commentary and tasting notes. So we've already explored in other posts the health benefits of moderate red wine consumption that include improved cardiovascular health, cancer prevention, enhancements of our gut microbiome, and maybe even diabetes prevention and treatment. But if you're going to choose to to drink, and again, check with your doctor on any of this, and always do it in moderation, but the question is, what should you drink? Now, I'm going to here to argue that the number one red wine to consider drinking is Malbec. It's M-A-L-B-E-C. And the data I could find on this found that uh, Malbec may, now, not, not definitively, but may have four times the antioxidants of something like uh, of Merlot and twice as much as Cabernet Sauvignon. And you can see the reference in that in there. But there was also some data that was pretty staggering. And this was in a, in a preclinical model, that means an animal model, where they, they induced an arrhythmia, which is an irregular heartbeat in the animals. And then they gave them 
um, Malbec. Okay, they gave him Malbec that had the alcohol taken out. They gave him regular Malbec. They gave him uh, Reservatol. And what they found is that Malbec has antiarrhythmic effects. Okay, and here's the quote from that particular study. Quote, we conclude that Malbec wine is an antiarrhythmic, as effective as Reservatol, beyond its antioxidant properties and unrelated to alcohol content. Now, with each of these types of wine, I'm also going to give you some tasting notes. And Malbec has really kind of an interesting and unique combination of flavors, black pepper, vanilla, coffee, and it has medium tannins and medium acidity. Now, I've been lucky to be lucky to go to Argentina. That's maybe another bias that's inherent in this, in this list where I had a lot of great Malbec. So, you know, buyer beware. But I think if you haven't tried one, a Malbec is a delicious wine that may be uh, more valuable for your health than the others. Uh, and again, I think these are probably pretty close, but these are the top four that I could find data on. Number two is Pinot Noir. Now, the health benefits of Pinot Noir were discussed in a particular um, uh, reference, and here's the quote. Quote, Pinot Noirs contain a healthy dose of several antioxidants, making it one of the best red wines to lower cholesterol. Four ounces of Pinot Noir delivers roughly 640 micrograms of Reservatol, which is more than most red wines. And Reservatol protects against diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, and heart disease. So the interesting other reason why Pinot is number two on this list is it, it starts the fermentation process with some of the lowest amounts of natural sugar, and that makes Pinot Noir lower in calories than other red wines. Number three on the list is actually what I technically call my favorite type of red wine, and that's Cabernet Sauvignon. Data suggests that this type of varietal has an, a relatively high antioxidant capacity, which can reduce inflammation and lower blood pressure. Uh, Cabernet or Cabs uh, are a very full-bodied wine that are dark in color. Um, oh, I forgot to give the tasting notes for, for Pinot. Sorry, Pinot is light in color uh, and compared to Malbec or Cab. And it has flavors that are cherry, raspberry, and almond compared to Cabernet Sauvignon, which is full body, dark in color, and has a variety of um, tasting things like black cherry, black pepper, chocolate, and hints of vanilla. And I think some of the best Cabernets, I mean, it's going to sound a little weird, but you can almost taste the dirt. So it's a little grain, it's a little grainy or granular, and, uh, and that's heavier in tannins, which is, has pluses and minuses. Obviously, everybody has their own tastes about what they like or what they don't like. The fourth, the last one, is something called Cananao or Grenache. Now, these are the same type of grape, same varietal. And in Italy, they call it Cananao, C-A-N-N-O-N-A-U. And in France, they call it Grenache, which is G-R-A-N-A-C-H-E. But the reason why this one has um, high antioxidants is it has a relatively thick skin. Now, this is the one that's famous for the blue zone because it's grown in Sardinia, which is an uh, island off the coast of Italy where one of those blue zones is located. And the people um, in Sardinia believe that drinking Cananao has been linked to longevity and heart health. This type of red wine is full body with low acidity. And it has tastes of things like pomegranate, wild berries, eucalyptus, and thyme. So here's one of the few papers that I could find about antioxidant levels in red wines. Um, they compared a variety of, of uh, Argentinian red wines, and they found that Malbec and Cab had more than Syrah, uh, and that the red wine um, consumptions, uh, this is the title of the paper, red wine consumption increases 
antioxidant status and decreased oxidative stress in the circulation of both young young and old humans. <laughs> so um, it's kind of fascinating, right? So this young humans were less than 30 and <laughs> older humans were greater than 50. But here's the primary conclusion from that paper, quote, Red wine consumption decreases oxidative stress and enhances total antioxidant capacity in the circulation. The decrease in oxidative stress and increase in total antioxidant capacity in the circulation is important as the opposite set of circumstances have been in, uh, uh, implicated in the pathogenesis of cardiovascular disease. So the results produced from the study suggest that the potent antioxidant properties provided by red wine and potential protection from developing cardiovascular disease um, are associated with red wine consumption and health. So here's the overall analysis, the Vitality Explorer analysis. I think red wine has ample data suggesting its health benefits uh, are meaningful in low to moderate quantities. More research is needed to understand which health uh, red wine varietals produce the most healthy and longevity benefits. And I encourage people to post their comments below uh, and share this post, share this podcast with red wine lovers everywhere. Um, this week was an interesting, eclectic uh, group of things we talked about on Vitality Explorers. We began with managing your time to manage your mind. I encourage you to look at the Vitality Explorer Substack site about that one. Uh, thank you for letting me share my uh, thoughts about writing for six straight years in the I Am Vital When I Write post. And then again, the sort of semi-scientific discussion of the four healthiest red wines. Uh, remember, remember Rumi's thing, uh, Rumi's quote is either give me more wine or leave me alone. Always check with your doctor about whether this is reasonable for you or not. Enjoy in moderation only. And until next time, raise your glass if that's okay with you and dare to be vital. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful week. This has been Dr. Alan Mishra and the Vitality Explorer podcast.